0: Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepherd, and here we go with episode three of our mini-series with Luke Taberski. If you haven't checked out the first two episodes yet, I recommend you head back and check them out before cracking on with this one. Before we get stuck in, a little note from a new sponsor called 8Tree, a sustainable clothing brand based in North Wales. You can check them out at 8 and with every purchase a tree is planted. 8Tree making a difference one tree at a time and I can attest their kit is wicked. So go and check him out. In this ep, we jump back into Luke's double brutal experience. Remember, Luke's first ever triathlon, also, and we get stuck into the big one, the ultimate triathlon. This is Luke Taberski on Why in the World. Twitter at Twitter need an ultramarathon runner to run up mount snowden with me on this weekend can you help it was in like six weeks i'm like cutting it fine like i won't go into all the responses i probably had about 15 responses some of the best ones were yeah i want to get into running i definitely this is a great place to start (laughs) from this 17 year old kid from cornwall who had done one 5k before i want to get into running and i'm like oh mate i love your attitude but sorry can't Oh yeah, I've done a couple of half marathons, flat ones, and I'm looking to do some hilly races. I think this would be great. My half marathon time is like sub three hours. And I wrote back, you meant sub two hours? He's like, No, sub three hours and I'm just like, Cool, love it, no, no. Good attitudes, but mm. this ain't the right thing for you, mate. So then uh, this woman in her early twenties messaged me and said, Oh, I've done a I've done an ultra before, I do a bit of CrossFit and um been following you for a while, It'd be really cool. So then I like, then would go off Twitter and email. So basically, give me your running resume, and your training resume. And she was doing like two CrossFit uh, a week, just moved down to London from Manchester about nine months earlier, did a 100K race, race to the Stones uh, a couple of months before with a, with a team and ran the whole 100Ks. And uh, I thought, I well, should be strong. She's CrossFit. She's young. She's like 23 or something like that. And she's done 100Ks this year, so she'd be fit. And I was like, all right, do you want to do it? She's like, okay, cool. It's all right. Well, let's let's meet. We met, Hannah and I, who's still a very close friend of mine to today. This is 2014 to today. We met for the first time like two weeks. No, it must have been a week before we went. And so we met and we talked about it. And she was quite shy and a bit reserved. And um, one of my friends who was coming up to crew as well with me, who's extremely loud and outspoken, Love her to death, but she's like out there. Mm. So we had uh, we had lunch one day, and yeah, we all got on. It was great. And the other crew member who couldn't make it that day was basically who was Graham, who had cycled with. He was in his mid forties. So I said, yeah, you'll meet Graham. He'll come and pick you up on the Friday lunchtime and drive up to North Wales from London together. So the first time, this early twenty-year-old girl who was going to run with me who'd only met me once and this and Tash my other crew member once was going to get picked up by this guy on Friday lunchtime (laughs) and driven to North Wales never met him before it sounds like the start of a horror movie to to then hang out with with Tash and and me for this this race and we we laugh about it now because we are Hannah and I are very close friends so anyway let's get on to the race did the swim felt great one of my other closest friends uh she was randomly uh in wales cycling with uh with her partner at the time and so she came over she saw me at the end of the swim i got out of the swim and i was like i didn't care like the swim was great i did it in just under three hours and i felt good and as you can tell i love a chat so i'm i'm out of there i've got this group of friends around me and i'm just chatting rubbish and graham's just gone Luke, shut up and get on the bike. You've been out of the swim for 30 minutes now. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care. I've got like 370 kilometers to go. So I got on the bike and it was loops. It was like 50k loops. Cycling around and cycle around and cycling around. And you got to know the lap really, really cool. And there's like two climbs at the end. It was lumpy, but it was two climbs at the end. And um, finished, the bike leg was into the middle of the night. And I felt really good apart from the last about must be at 15k's into the last lap and Graham who was driving the crew car he was driving the last lap with me and I'm so pleased he did 15k's into like this 50k lap my light stopped working did you not know, the light went out didn't we? we tried to fix it naively I only took one light I've mm-hmm. learnt from that and the back one was just like some flashing ones that wasn't going to help. You got ready a second one when you got back from the pool yeah. <laughs> So he's driving for th- like thirty-five k's, lumpy k's. He's driving in front of me, like high beams of the side C, she or driving behind oh. me, so the shining the lights. So we came to like last fifteen k's. The last fifteen k's were the toughest part of the of the, of the route. And it's like early in the morning. I'm like falling asleep. Didn't the plan was not to sleep at all. And he drove up beside me, and he's like. Obviously, I'd half fallen asleep, zigzagging. And he's like, do you think we should have a rest? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. He says, okay. So he dropped back. And then I'm like, Veer and Nelly drove off the, right off the side of the road. And he's come up. and says, do you think you should have a rest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kid you not, pulled over, jumped in the car, heater on. He put on one song, a U2 song. I can't remember what it was. But just remember, it was Bono was screaming his lungs out. And I said, right, when the song finishes, I'll get back on the bike. And we had the, the heater blaring. Yeah, it's September October in North Wales in two o'clock in the morning. So, Cold. Yeah, heater blaring, Bono yelling at me, and I'm just like, "Take songs over, let's go finish the ride." And then Hannah was meeting me in a very sheepishly way at like three o'clock in the morning. She has got to run to the top of Mount Snowdon. Long story short, she gets me lost. We turn up at someone's front door. I'm saying, Hannah, we're supposed to be going up. No, this is fine. So she gets me lost trying to get up the top of Snowdon on this path that's like twelve foot wide. Mm ran an extra like four or five kilometers got to the top of snowden sunrise beautiful blue sky she says like oh you should take a photo have you got a camera i'm like what have i got a camera for i said i'm running she Said you should have a camera you're the crew oh I forgot mine so we're on the top of snowden it's a it's blue morning it's beautiful so we just sort of captured it just yeah, was mental great. photo yeah we always joke about it now and then bomb it back down, and then finish the run. And I it took me like just over thirty-five hours non-stop to do the double brutal extreme triathlon as my first ever swim bike run. And that was the prep. That's that, the prep. That was the prep. Learn a lot. Two thousand fifteen was about getting funding for the ultimate triathlon as well, um, because I was going to take out four people as a crew, and so no one was making money from the ultimate triathlon. It was all about. We need hotel rooms along the way. Uh, we need food along the way travel to and from. And I was just like, that was the budget mm. to do it. I, I told everyone I was making a documentary about the Ultimate Triathlon. And this was a lesson learned. But how I pulled it off, I had no idea. So I was telling everyone, pitching it at the sponsor, I'm having a documentary made. And they're like, oh, this is a bit more interesting. Who's going to make it? And I was just like, oh, I'm in, I'm in negotiations with a couple of companies. This is what he's to say to people. Total BS. And then this one guy, Chris, got in touch with me and said, I heard you're making a documentary. Have you got someone signed yet? And I said, oh, I'm in negotiations. (laughs) So he's like, well, maybe you come and film with me just on the outskirts of London for a day. We'll swim, we'll cycle, we'll run. I'll film you. We have a chat. We'll do some sort of promo stuff. And you see how we get on together working. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, like playing it cool. And I'm like jumping for joy. This is it. I've done it. I've made it. This is my negotiation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went down there. We spent a day of filming in the lake and cycling. Really nice guy, really cool stuff. And then at the end of it, he said, look, I know that you probably don't have a huge budget for a film crew. So I'm sitting there going, you know, yeah, you know. I was talking to some big sponsors, talking to anyone. And uh, he said, what about this? What about we split the film at the back end in his favour, but he comes out and doesn't ask for a fee, but gets all his expenses paid. And I'm like, trying to play it so cool. because I'm like, I'm going to have a documentary made for free. I'm like, oh, yeah, what percentage? And... Uh yeah, you know, I'm like pretending I'm thinking Inside you're going, Yes, yes <laughs> And I just like I, I feel like I've won the lottery and I'm like Alright then, sure, let's do it. I like how you work. I think this is this could work. <laughs> so anyway, so we signed out with the gentleman's agreement, fine, he was cool and two weeks before I set out to do the ultimate Triathlon, line he called me and said, Luke, I'm really sorry, I can't oh, come Oh man. He got a a big gig you know five figure type gig i i said you have to go Like you can you can look at this however you want the way i view it is i was aggressive daily i'll go back to this point i was aggressive daily in 2015 trying to get sponsors hustle 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 meeting people taking chances people taking chances on me building relationships being authentic when it, it come down to the crunch you know like obviously i was spinning a bit of BS I'm in negotiations and Mm. all you know but when it came down to the crunch and we had that handshake it was authentic 100% Um, I told why I was doing it what I wanted to get out of it you know all these type of things and I shared this with people and I shared the passion and where I was trying to go with it two days after Chris said I can't film I got a direct message on I think Facebook or something from this guy he said look I'm a part time videographer I I heard you on the Rich Roll podcast, so I went over to America to do some promotion, all off my own bat, and he said, love what you're doing. Do you think I could come and help your filmmaker do some promo stuff before you go to the Ultimate Triathlon? And I'm like, do you want to come and film it? Do you want to be the filmmaker? (laughs) Yeah. He said, look, long story short, my filmmaker's pulled out, but if you want to come, like we're talking two or three weeks before I was had flights already booked mm. and he was like yep i am in, no worries and i just went okay tomorrow i'm on a long run don't have any time to do anything else can we have a phone call because i need to ask you a couple of questions and he was like yeah so first of all are you married he said yes do you have kids yes i'm like you need to go ask your wife if you can have three weeks off work not be paid for those three weeks and then have to edit the film for a percentage of a film that doesn't have a buyer. So you need to go and ask her if that's okay. He calls me um, the next day, as planned, 11 o'clock. I'm running, at the end of my like 50k run or whatever. Hey, hey, Jay, hey, Dom. Good. What did your wife say? She said, if I don't do it, we're getting a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, and at first I was like, did he say he's getting a divorce? And I was like, Is everything good? He's like, Yeah, I'm in. And I am just like, What a woman! I know. I was just. He went through some personal health issues, and he was on a he's on a bit of a personal journey, and and he was literally him and his wife had talked about he needed a project. He needed a project to sink his teeth into, and this came about. So Jay, who's also still one of my very closest friends, came to my wedding, and, and you know, you can see all these people that have mm. taken care of me. I've pulled them in and these are my inner circle, you know, because these are people who have believed in me and have put a lot of faith in me and time and effort. I don't want to say I reward them, but I've got so much gratitude. You keep them close. Yeah, because I've got so much gratitude because they're they're not just amazing at what they do. They're amazing human beings. And I've I've spent time to, to learn about them and spend more time with them. And it's just like, I love them in the purest meaning of that word. And they're the people that I want close to me because I've got so much gratitude for them as human beings. So Jay is one of those people. And one of the companies who I now am an ambassador for, 33 Shake, it's a bit of a plug there. That's um, <laughs> a real food sports nutrition company who started from nothing uh, in London from their kitchen. And uh, uh, Warren was an ex-sports um, and motorcycle journalist and Erica was in uh, on, on like tv doing like sets for music videos and different tv shows and whatever and they just went all in into to creating this real food sports nutrition company and i tried it because i eat real food that's how i fuel these adventures don't need anything like packaged or anything that's processed like i was still trying to figure out who was going to come and crew all my friends sort of bailed because they got nine to five jobs and they couldn't take time off which i totally agree it's hard. i understand. And I'm like, I don't know, like my now wife, she was a girlfriend at the time for like three or four months. She was in her final year of osteopathy. She's got an exercise physiology degree, been a massage therapist, acupuncturist, really good physical therapist. She said, I could probably take a week off uni. It's my final year, but I could probably take a year off, a week off. And I was like, okay, cool. You're my medical officer. (laughs) And um, and then the guys from 33 Shake said, we've discussed this. If you cover our costs, we'll drive our van down from London to Tarifa, the south of Spain, and we'll crew for you. And we'll and we'll feed you with 33 Shake cheer energy gels and their 33 Shake um, pre- and post-workout shakes for the whole trip. And uh, that's sort of their sponsorship deal. And uh, I was like, yep, your hype so that was the crew Jay the filmmaker by himself Vanda uh, who was my girlfriend for like 3 or 4 months and I thought at the end of this I've got a keeper or I'm single like literally <laughs> I tell everyone this is that. the makeover yeah we're now married <laughs> <laughs> so I was like yeah we're a keeper so that was the crew we this was it this was how it was going to be but I was still trying to get funding for it because I had no money you know this was this was like going all in as a risk for my for this business and i had a couple of magazines who said yeah cool we'll commission you but a thousand quid is not going to cover it no. you know so i was pitching it pitching it pitching it i got a few bits and pieces from companies who i still work with today 45 years later they believed in me and believed in my story and believed in what i'm trying to do and that's been great and then i went okay well i've got no other way i've got to do a crowdfunder." And I I hated doing that crowdfunder. I hated asking for people to fund my adventure. It gets under my skin when people do it. And this is personal preference. I get Mm. it. Like, I get it. That's how you do it. I just don't like it. I think it's a pride thing as well. Yeah. And and I don't see why someone personally should pay for me to do a challenge. Mm. They're hard-earned money for me to go and have a bit of fun, to inspire like I could do stuff to inspire people and not cost anyone a cent. But you were going to do this. But I was going to do this. So I was like, it was I, I have no option. I'm going to do a crowdfunder." I didn't say that I hated doing it, but everyone like close to me just knew so you got no other option. Mm-mm. People were like, great, you got like 60% of what your target was. And I'm like, yeah, but my target was 60% of what I needed. So I didn't ask for the full amount. I was still short. And this next thing I'm going to tell you is why I realized at the time and why I tell people that you should always be thankful to people that you meet. And also that you should be thankful when people want to spend time with you, okay? Because we would run every Sunday morning from here where we are and I'll get a group of people who are doing ultra marathons, ultra duathons. Ironman triathlons every Sunday morning. We called it PRC, um, Paul's Running Club, because the guy who I used to live with um, was named Paul. I didn't want to name it after myself, so I named it after Paul. Um, (laughs) So we used to have between three and four or six or seven people go up to Richmond Park, which is a mile away, and run 30, 30, 40 Ks every Sunday morning, come back. I'd cook brunch, and that would be the day. People would invite their friends, and this one day... Uh, these guys who are good marathon runners invited their friend who'd done like 30, 40 marathons. I thought, yeah, it's cool. Come along. We run at a casual pace but we still ran at our pace. It was varied but it was just a laugh. We'd chat. we'd, We'd talk rubbish for like three or four hours and this guy was a hell of a lot slower than us. So someone was always dropping back. We slowed down a little bit, but someone would always drop back and it was sort of break up and then they would stop at the front and slingshot back. And I would always make sure, I would tell someone from the group. I was an unofficial in quotations leader. And, And I said, no, just go, just drop back for like 10 minutes and then I'll take over. And he came back and he had lunch or we had brunch and everything, whatever. Fast forward to a week or two before the Ultimate Triathlon. And I had done the budgets and I'm like, We have no money for day 10, 11, or 12. I said, I don't know how I'm going to fund that. We have no more money. I said, I've skimmed everything. I get this phone call from a number I didn't know, and he starts talking to me on the other end of the line. It's like we knew each other, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? And he's like, yeah, my company's um, doing well. And it's like, look, can I sponsor the Ultimate Triathlon? I love what you're doing. And I'm like, Yeah sure of course you can he says I know it's really late you still open to spaces I don't want anything in return and I'm like yeah of course I said I'll put your stuff on my kits and your, your, your company I didn't even know who his company was at that time which would have given me a little bit more context so this conversation I'm trying to figure out who this is and he says "Ah, oh, look it's not a lot of money it's, it's 1500 pounds but that's all I can afford but I really just want to be part of what you do because I believe in you and I think you're an amazing human being and I was, like, blown away. I'm thinking, wow, this guy's amazing. I have no idea who he is. I feel really bad. And I was just about to ask, I'm really sorry. I will accept your money, but who is this? <laughs> who are you, please? But then he said, and the reason why is because I came to run with you that one day, and I was slower than everyone else. Penny dropped, knew exactly who it was. And he said, but I knew that you made sure that someone was always running with me, and you ran with me more than anyone else because you wanted me to feel part of the group. And then you invited me back to your house and you cooked me brunch and you were treated me just like the rest of your your running family, like I'd been there for weeks. Mm. And it's just like that's the type of person that I want to support. Right. And that paid for the, the next three days and the Ultimate Triathlon was funded in with like two weeks to go and that was it just needed to get to the start line then yeah i had been speaking with this company that did the gibraltar strait crossings the swim crossings for two years because it's actually a company that you pay money to and they give two boats a lead boat and a little dinghy on the side and shuttle you across the gibraltar strait so you get down to tarifa and the normal way to swim the gibraltar strait is from spain to morocco my great idea was morocco to monaco so i had to start in morocco and i worked with a swimming coach who had the british record for the two-way so swimming from spain to morocco and then turning around and swimming back from morocco to spain so first of Bites all, back. yeah but back non- non-stop beast hmm. um, adam walker i want to give adam a little shout out because he's a lovely guy basically he's he's done like the seven summits of open water swimming the ocean seven he's a, beast of a swimmer. And he has actually swam from Morocco to Spain after he spent, swam from Spain to Morocco. So I thought, right, I'm going to talk to this guy. So I did one of his open water swimming camps in Malta and picked his brain about it all. And he said, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder. He said, but yeah, you can do it and, and this and that. And I said, yeah, okay, I, I gather it's going to be harder because of the currents are stronger um, on the coast of Morocco. And then they're stronger when you get towards Spain. So you're like, you're trying to swim like through strong currents um whereas and you've got a smaller stretch of um, land mass to hit on the southern tip of spain than when you do on the northern tip of morocco so if you're swimming south and you get dragged into the mediterranean there's more coastline you can hit before it's deemed as a non-swim okay so i was told it's going to be more difficult more difficult i said yeah get that get that and i'm still expecting it to be around 20 ish Kilometers. So, I get down to Spain, and we went to have a meeting with Rafael, the the swim chief, the the Spanish guy. Rafael (laughs) sounds like a character. Oh my goodness! So we have a meeting. Jay's there with his camera, and uh, we're filming. And he's got this big whiteboard of the Gibraltar Strait map, like a shipping thing, whatever. And he starts talking, and he says, "So I." uh, I'm not going to do a Spanish accent. <laughs> so... so <laughs> I understand that you want to swim from Morocco to Spain. And I'm like... Dude, we've been talking for two years. Well, it's going to be more difficult. Yes, you've told me. And you know, I, I know Adam. Oh, Adam Walker. Yeah, amazing swimmer. Yeah, yeah, yes. I've been working with him. Okay, yeah. It's also going to be double the distance. And I'm like, whoa, hang on a second. Double the distance. And he's like, yep. Yeah. Because you have to, because when you swim just from Morocco, they make you start further down the northwest coast, so further east on land of North Morocco, to get a bit of a kickstart into the mouth of the Gibraltar Strait and then the currents will drag you east into the Mediterranean so you've got a better chance of hitting land. And he's just like, yeah, like you should know this. And I'm like, well, we've been speaking for two years. You've not told me. And Adam didn't know because he swam two ways. He started in Spain, finished in Spain. So wherever he touched land, he touched land and spanned back the other way. So because I'd done so much work mentally on my mental framework and one of the things that I focused on was controlling my attitude so focusing on the things that i control that i can control and disregarding anything that i can't and not wasting energy and that's the same whether i was swimming cycling running or anything so i realized within and you see it in the documentary he says this jay's filming and within and there's no cuts, it's all it's, it's all not one one shot 10 seconds i just went fine no worries we swim from spain to morocco I didn't go back and forth. I didn't argue. I didn't throw my hands up in the air. My mind was just going, what the F are you talking about? I've spent four years organizing this, speaking to this guy for two years. What are you going to do? And then my mind just went, okay, what can you control? I can control the fact that I haven't trained to do 30 odd kilometers. So, Why don't I just swim from Spain to Morocco, get in the boat for 45 minutes and come back to Spain, jump on the bike? I've still swam the Gibraltar Strait. I've still swam from Europe to Africa. Yeah. You know, like in reality, it doesn't really make any difference. Now, the guys could see I was getting quite emotional because for me, it had been flipped on its head. Like the whole challenge is not Morocco to Monaco anymore. People won't care. But in that moment, I cared. So as soon as we went out, like he started playing, he thought we were all best mates. He started playing guitar at the end after we did some filming with him and he was telling all the logistical bits and whatever. And he started playing guitar in his office and all this stuff. And we got outside, which was all great. He's a lovely guy, but we got outside and they just went, we need to film right now what you're thinking. And I said, yep, yeah, let's go in this little alleyway. Jace out the tripod and I just said, turn it on and just leave me. And I just spoke to camera. And it was a documentary that was shot in a very different way. We had a few people who had been involved in television for many years. one of them, did the voiceovers, So he was involved in it. <clears throat> and he was like, when I first saw the, the rough cut, I was like, oh, no. Because most documentaries, it's like the filmmakers are flying on the wall. Okay. And it's about the crew. And it's about you talking to yourself. Whereas I went from talking to camera and the crew talking to camera to then we were just talking amongst ourselves. So it was like this like weird little mashup of Mm. we're just doing whatever we want. Sometimes I'm having a chat to the camera. Other times I'm not and just talking to myself or talking to the crew or whatever, but it works perfectly because you, you get drawn into these characters in this, in this real film. And it's the whole, the film's all about um, the crew. It's not about me, you know? So we got this footage of me that, outside of the the office where I was just really emotional really emotional because I got down there I was about to start and getting to the start line was exhausting got this funding at the end got the cameraman the, the film crew all done and then it was just like this has been flipped on its head I can't even imagine I can't even imagine what went through your head in that moment. I filmed for about five minutes and just got it all out. And we pulled out a bit for the documentary and it was just like really perfectly sets it up. The other thing that people don't give the Ultimate Triathlon enough respect about, and I've been criticised and my crew's been criticised, which I just laugh at, is how disorganised it was. And the point being from the outside, like I've had... You can go on Amazon where it's housed and I get like a couple of one-star reviews and people going, it's so unorganized. There's no way that we're had and You didn't, you know that this was going to happen. And I laugh at them because when you do an open water swim, a channel cross, you don't get told you're doing it on Tuesday the 17th. You don't get told that. You get a window, you get a week, you get 10 days, you get five days, depending on the channel because of the weather. So if it's really windy one day, they say we're not swimming today. So I was at the end of the season, it's very windy in Tarifa, loads of like kite surfers and wind surfers and stuff like that. So the weather can be quite unpredictable. We got down there, it was very stormy, very windy, and I had a 7-day window. After that, I go home. There's another swimmer that comes in for another 7 days. So there's a huge amount of risk. And also like <clears throat> you don't know when you're starting. So that's one element. You don't know mentally when you're starting until eight o'clock the night before and then you've got basically 10 hours. <laughs> so six o'clock in the morning, you've got to be at the port. So every, every night, Raphael said, if you don't hear from me from eight o'clock, we're not going. So the whole day we think, am I starting tomorrow? Am I starting tomorrow? Seven o'clock, no phone call. Eight o'clock, no phone call. Okay, we're not going. We could tell the first few days. My anxiety would be through the roof so the first couple of days we knew because it was just horrendous and he said maybe wednesday maybe thursday or like three or four days down the down the line and then the funny thing was it was like seven o'clock one day not nah, not coming we put a load of towels and we'd been down there for like five or six days we had two or three days left in this window and then it was done because there's another swimming coming in it's like holy crap like what do i do then it's not a triathlon if i cycle and run we washed the towels because we've been there five or six days in this airbnb I hadn't then Whatever we wore, we had these bag of wet towels that we'd washed, and we went up to the supermarket. We'd run out of food, and I'm in the supermarket. I, it's so funny, but I just you remember these little things. I'm in the supermarket looking at these tomatoes, going smelling them. Like, these tomatoes smell amazing. My phone rings, and it's like eight o'clock. Look, is Raphael, and I was like, Yeah, what do you want? I probably didn't say that, but you know, get that. Get the <laughs> and he's like, So the weather tomorrow seems not too bad. See you at six, six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> And I'm like, guys, um, tomorrow we're starting. (laughs) And I really want these tomatoes. (laughs) So it's 8 o'clock. We hadn't had dinner, right? We had these wet towels. We called the Airbnb people. They were really flexible and they said, that's fine. We, we had dinner at 10 o'clock. We had to be down the port at like six or seven o'clock in the morning. I didn't get to bed till like midnight and I was up at like five or six and I knew I wouldn't sleep. My whole time, I'm in the night before, I was thinking about my technique, swimming. So that's how the swim started. I knew at eight o'clock, like, and I had 10 hours to be at the port and that was it, plus I had to sleep. So there's all that anxiety on not knowing when you start of the swim. But to go back to so that with context, to go back to my point is people don't give this the respect that it needs in terms of a logistical standpoint and also just how difficult it was to organise is if you don't know when you're starting, how can you book hotels for the 12 days in Spain and France? You can't. Exactly. Now, when you've got a crew who one is driving... And when I'm cycling, I'm cycling you know, around 30 k's an hour, 20 miles an hour when it's flat. So you've got a person who is trying to follow you, trying to direct you. I didn't have enough budget, like I had supplement budget requirements. that Okay, I'd like to buy a, a bike computer to have the route uploaded on, because I didn't have one myself. I approached all the GPS companies, none, none of them wanted to even give me one. So they're trying to leapfrog to show me the routes, and you've got someone else who's preparing my food and you've got the cameraman who's sorting out shots and this and that. And you've got Vanda, who's my now wife, who's trying to do everything else, small crew. And then they'd stop, they'd refill me, they'd do this. And they're like, okay, we need to get ahead of him. We need to buy food. We need to find a supermarket because we're running out of food. And we need to eat. And we need to book a hotel for the next day. So it became this like manic time. I had different hotels that I gave the crew. These are the ones that are sort of in budget. But you call up, no, we only have two rooms, not three. You know, things like that. So the things that are out of my control. And it's so hard when you're needing to be focused on what you're doing Mm. as well. Yeah. And you're worrying about logistics like, are we going to have a hotel tonight? Yeah, exactly. And once we got going on the bike, the bike was really hard because I was traveling at a pace and they're driving on roads they didn't know we found some roads that i was told that i could cycle on but then we got to the entry ramps and there's a cycle like a a sign with a bike with a big red line through it so well we're not supposed to cycle on this but we don't have any alternatives because that's going to add like 50 k's can we go like another route so i'm just like screw it i'm just going to cycle on this road not allowed to honked by cars and stuff thrown at me and um it was mental like high like motorways and it was it was dangerous at times um and then the crew was trying to like get me off it so they were trying to reroute and find other routes and when you've got someone who's driving and then someone who's trying to navigate and someone who's doing food and someone who's trying to find the next supermarket. you've got someone who's trying to deal with all this camera stuff and changing batteries and lenses and all this type of thing, it's in the back of a van, and then you're trying to worry about, okay, we still need to see Luke because we haven't seen him in half an hour. Is he okay? Um, I had a tracker, and they followed that. You can see how it was pretty... Manic. Yeah. It's always... Something like that. Something multi-day is always going to be slightly manic. You can't control everything. Can't yeah. You? It came across in the, in the documentary to people who didn't quite understand it that it was really unorganised because we were booking hotel rooms the morning of for that night. But it's like, yeah, we didn't know when we'll start. Mm. Like, you can you can do an adventure. You know, okay, I'm going to start from here, and, and each day finish here, 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 I can book those at hotel rooms because I know when I'm going to start. When, and I think it's the reason why people don't do triathlons in this fashion an open water channel swim, and then um, a a cycle and a run, it's because you don't know. Because there is so much variability to it. To start, yeah, exactly. What a journey we've been on the past few weeks, and we wrap it all up in next week's episode. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe if you haven't yet. And I will catch you as we hear all about Luke Taberski's Ultimate Triathlon next week.